0: Jordan, man, how's it going? going well, my brother. How you doing? Good. Uh, you are out in Texas now, if I'm not
1: mistaken, yes? We are. It's super, super hot, but we love it here. Big okay. fan.
0: Okay. Before this, you were East Coast?
1: Yep, Jersey. Okay. And so, why the move? Honestly, when I went fully online coaching, we were just kind of sitting around. My girlfriend's also fully remote, and we are like, why are we here? Exactly. You know, like I used to work and co-own an in-person studio. And so there was obviously like, like I was screwed into the ground there and then sold my portion of that went fully online. And I was like, I I fucking hate the snow. It's Mm -hmm. terrible. And started snowing. And Jenna and I were like, this blows. And so we picked up and got an Airbnb in Arizona for a month just to just to go just like like hashtag influencer. You know, it's like (laughs) like hashtag nomad. And we had a blast. Digital nomad. Yeah, exactly. Right. And we just Airbnb. we went hiking. We had, a, you know, obviously working during the week, um, but we had so much fun and we were like, you know, why don't we, you know, we don't have kids yet. And if there was ever a time to like explore a different place, like we might move back and, you know, have a family and, and do all that stuff in the East coast, but I don't know. I didn't want to, it felt weird not ever having lived somewhere else. Not that that's the end of the world, but we have the opportunity to move in this day and age and the, the, the kind of digital age that we're in and both of us are, you know, fully remote. And so we thought, you know, whatever, not the the thought process of how we got to Texas was essentially like, okay, we don't want snow. So there goes ha- the whole entire North. And yeah. then if you work from like the West Coast to the East Coast, you end up with like California, which I love, which was an option. Uh, but it was a big jump for me from a time, the time zone was a big jump for me. And then oh, yeah. you get Arizona, which we were just in Arizona and nobody living in New Mexico. And then yeah. you get Texas, which is like, okay, there's like some solid options there. And then I'm not living, you know, you get like East of Texas and you're like, oh, yeah. You know, Florida, yeah, it can get a little wild, yeah, and so, yeah, for
0: for everybody listening, this is Jordan, he's an expert in geography. Today's discussion is going to be about (laughs) geography. No, that's I I feel like that's a really good, authentic intro that people are like, Wow, I I, I enjoyed that tale of this man's journey across the entire United States. (laughs) That's what we're talking about. I, I like his preferences for potential landing spots, but yeah, Jordan, if you couldn't tell is in the fitness space. He does some online coaching, entirely online coaching at this point. He has a really good podcast, one of my favorites, and I don't listen to very many podcasts that are actually in the fitness space. So his is one that I listen to. And he's somebody whose memes I like and who I really enjoy communicating with in the space. So tell him a little bit about kind of what it is that you're doing, Jordan, who you are in this space, and then we'll get into answering some of their questions.
1: You don't want me to keep going with the geography stuff. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, man.
0: You know what they say: don't <laughs> quit your day job.
1: Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So I'm. Uh, I've been a long time personal trainer for the coming out of college. Became personal trainer. I, I assume that you and I have a similar path in that way. Um, and then eventually got to a place where I was really not having the kind of effect on people that I really wanted. So moved online. Mm-hmm. Um, things have been really great. I am an MNU certified nutritionist, I'm certified by N1 for biomechanics and actually for all of their online uh, certifications. And that's pretty much it. I work with clients with uh, you know across the whole spectrum of clinical settings, fat loss, muscle gain, athletic goals, um, the whole spectrum there, people working out at home at the gym, across the board, you know the drill.
0: I loved the N1 uh, stuff. I only did the biomechanics, uh, but I really like that. And I've taken a lot of certifications, and, and this is a great segue into our first question, but Um, I've taken so many certifications over the years. I was kind of like thought it was more important than it was earlier in my career. And then I realized like, really what you want here is the knowledge and you can sometimes find that outside of the certs, but you want the certs that package it the best and make it the most applicable. But N1 was, it's one of my favorites for sure. And I think think I've told people on more than one occasion that the biomechanics course was my favorite because I think you can just keep watching it and go over it over and over and over again and really go like, okay, after I have drilled this, I, I feel like I understand something that's really important for what we do. I get so many questions from trainers about what's the best certification for bodybuilding or working with bodybuilders? What's the best certification for mobility or working with clients who have restricted movement or you know they have a lot of pain? And it's like, there's no cert for that. You just What you really need to understand is functional anatomy. And like I can't teach you that because it's kind of dry. And I just felt like N1... Pe- packaged it and polished it in a way that wasn't so dry. And oh my God, I, I recommend that one highly. But our first question comes from at and he asks best certifications. And so I think it will be easy. We're both going to say we've done N1. I know you've probably done a handful. And so we'll extend this out to like books, certifications, YouTube, podcasts. So we'll just say what are the top three certifications at all or certifications kind of ish certifications um that you have done your top 3 and I will then pick my top 3
1: yeah the way i look at this is that there's you know if you want to be an online coach let's say and, and let's say that involves programming workouts and nutrition programming let's say i think you need to address those individually mm-hmm. and so personally obviously i'm a little bit biased the only nutrition kind of real legitimate certification that I have is an MNU certification via like uh, Martin McDonald's course. So I loved that course. It was a year long course, you know, quote, very quote, evidence-based. But what I liked mostly about it was, it was not just the facts, but it was also how to become, uh, have, have how to have a better understanding of how to accrue new information and how to like like read research papers and actually find pros and cons in it and actually kind of disseminate information from a little bit of a higher hierarchy yeah, um, so, that? yeah, it wasn't something and it was something that I always wanted to do. I don't know if that was just an ego thing. But like, I wanted to make sure that I was able to read a research paper and not yeah. just I didn't want to just regurgitate information. I wanted to be yeah. able to like, critically think through it. So that, that definitely helped me a lot. And of, of all the certs I've done in my whole life, this one had the most legit testing structure and so like the final exam was like really difficult cost a lot of time to study um and was very open-ended very like uh uh, graded very well by like real people with real critiques and a lot of case studies and so i really really enjoyed that thought it was really good um and i'm gonna i'm gonna steal the m1 biomechanics one just because i think that that is one like you said that you can keep coming back to of all the N one certifications, I think they're all good, but I think they get vastly more complex after that one, like exponentially more complex. And I think what
0: what are the other ones?
1: There's a nutrition and programming one, and then okay. there's a uh, it's uh, like digestion, sleep, and stress gotcha. Gotcha. is the last one. Um, so I'm so- I'm
0: transcending from like totally within my scope of practice to probably in my scope of practice to yeah, m- yeah. maybe taking a trip to Costa Rica to do psychedelics. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, 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 Whenever yeah. I hear like digestion or gut health, I'm like, be careful. This is where we're going to lose you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I was, and I, I will say that my interest in the courses. is, you know, became less and less. Now, I'm not saying interest went down to zero, but I think that the second course is the, the nutrition and training programming is very intricate and will take okay. a long time. And if you did the, I did the biomechanics course twice, like twice, I went through it twice once to get it. And then a the second time, like I said, I wanted to be able to critically think i was like i don't want to yeah. regurgitate something that coach cast says i don't want to be like oh yeah like i see a lot of people who have taken the course and they make a post and it is word for word yeah. regurgitation um, oh and my god you no know, there's something wrong nobody made up and biomechanics though nobody made it up but yeah, yeah. i
0: i've done that like earlier yeah. in my training career when i was like 18 yeah. 19 20 which honestly now knowing that i trained when i was 18 19 20 makes me same sad. I'm uh-huh. happy that I did it, but I'm like, yeah. man, sad, that, guy, that guy was fucking ass. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I was like, that,
1: yeah. that dude yeah.
0: sucked. Oh my yeah. god. Like, I was like, dude, I'm gonna fucking rip my chest today. Incline, flat, and decline press machine. Just like, okay, that yeah.
1: is goodbye, shoulders.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. One, you will not be training like this for long due to crippling elbow pain. Two, um, you're gonna get better. It gets better from here, but this, yeah. you're going to look back at this and be ashamed. And, and I do like that to your point, if you go back and you really want to learn biomechanics, it's something that a lot of people truly just regurgitate. But once you really get it, it's really quite liberating. It makes training really a lot easier as a coach, even as a client. And that's one of the advantages that I've had working in person, uh, is I just get to go and touch people. And, uh, and I know that sounds really the weird. Most creepy way. Most of the time it's not, but it's really, really cool to be able to go, wow, I am feeling this tissue on a human's body. It contract differently and get to apply that to the two or three clients that I see that day that might need a little bit of lat hypertrophy. So I'm showing them that chest supported lat row that we've both learned from N1. That's when you do it correctly, you're like, okay, so this is why I have shrimp flats. Yeah. Um, and then you are then you eventually just have these aha moments. But then when you teach it to somebody, you really lock it in and it starts to click. So biomechanics is something you have to drill. So your first two are Mac Nutrition Uni and N1. I have zero on the board. I just talked about a in-person client setting. And since I do a little bit of that, I'll address that here since a lot of you train people in person too. Um, and this one is the CPPS. And this was from Joe DeFranco and Smitty. And Smitty does all of the teaching. And the reason that this was my number one is because I liked the continuum. I felt like if you had just done, say, your NASM or your NSCA, your base cert, you're like, I just need to get a job cert. um, The CPPS is really good. They go over some fantastic coaching of you know, rudimentary athletic training, coaching the big three, coaching sprint mechanics, deceleration mechanics, and not in such a way that it's like way over your head, but in a way where you're like putting the pieces together really positively. And you're like, wow, okay, this has gen pop application. This has athletic application. I'm picking up coaching cues. I'm picking up all these really great, like golden nuggets. I would call it a golden nugget course because there's a lot about breathing. There's, And that's got some nuggets. There's a lot about mobility and that's got some nuggets and they cram it in to like two monster 12 hour days, but you get a lot of these really great pillars. And I took it at a point in my career where I was pretty advanced, but, and I was watching, I was in a room with other trainers taking it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is really cool because I was listening to some of those conversations and they were making, it was watching people connect dots and watching neurons connect in a way where I was like, this is awesome. And Smitty commands this in person so, so well. So if you're new to the space, you've got your first cert, you're like, what can I do next? It's really going to give me, a lot of versatility, the ability to work with a lot of people and feel confident on a lot of different situations, I would recommend the CPPS in person with Smitty. That's, that's my number one. Um, I'll go one more so we be, we can be two for two and then we can go to our, like, I guess number three hitter here. Um, And this is a tough one because I kind of wanted to bounce around a lot, Um, but it's actually NASM's corrective exercise course. For only because you took N1, Uh, NASM's corrective exercise course, like uh, the term corrective exercise is really pseudoscientific because that in and of itself is kind of trash. But it was one that when I took it had a lot of really valuable functional anatomy drilling in there. And so if you want something that's going to force you to drill your functional anatomy, you thrive on structure. It's going to teach you a few, like what I would describe as Functional mobility tests, where you could like assess somebody's passive or active range of motion, and and look like, oh wow, this this trainer's, you know, got a little bit of you know some bells and whistles. It it has a tendency to I think make people over reliant on thinking everyone's broken, which is like NASM's bread and butter. So you have to take that into account, take it with a grain of salt. But there's so much good functional anatomy in there that I think if you're looking to level up in that area. And N1 might be price prohibitive. This would be a good like lower cost option. And a lot of times they bundle it with stuff like senior fitness and um, women's fitness, which are really good at just kind of giving you a little bit of extra. Okay, so maybe don't put someone with high blood pressure on a leg press. Cool. So we're not going to max that. Like, honestly, it sounds really fucking obvious, but a lot of you guys do shit like that all the time. So these two, th- those, that's my number two, but only cause you stole N1. So we'll go to like the big hitters here and see where we, well, these might not be the big hitters. This might be, these might be the dingleberries. Cause maybe we already named <sighs> the cool ones, but go no. ahead and go with your third option.
1: Yeah, those are those are definitely my big hitters. And the third one, I'm going to go off base and just choose not to answer the question directly and say it's, it would be a commitment to subscribing to uh, uh, research reviews in the industry of people that are good. just like know what they're talking about. And so the that's three that I would cool. say, if we're just trying to be helpful for people like coaches listening of like, how can I do more ongoing education would be Alan Aragon's re- research mm-hmm. review, the mass research review and Chris Beardsley research review on the and yeah, Beardsley, Beardsley is really good as well. I mean, he you know puts everything into nice, concise infographics. But you know you, you, if you really are looking for a little bit deeper than that, I think that his research review is really good. But those three have been just massively, massively. And I know that it's interesting because it's easy. It's almost like human psychology. It's easier for us to do a course that has a beginning, a middle, an end. And then, a, and then I get to put the numbers after my – letters oh, after gosh. my name. Like This is not that. And so you actually have to sit down and read Alan's review for an hour and a half. And you don't – nobody – you don't get a fucking like high five at the end, and so no, these do. have been things that's like it's no easy alphabet for to, like, soup for you at the end of your name. That's it, right? No, <laughs> nobody knows except for you that you are learning, and so this is like one of the things that might be less sexy, but like, man, if you once a week or it's it's once a month for all of them, like sit down and put a couple hours into that, massively, massively helpful yeah. for ongoing education. Dude,
0: that's that's a great plug because that is really, really been valuable for me too. I've been like a mass bro since it first came out. And sometimes I read them, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just do the audio uh, yeah, the audio piece good. because for, for a lot of us, it's like, okay, one, it's very difficult to sit down and pour through dense information. And so that might make something like this seem prohibitive, but they're not just like, it's not, I, I want people to understand. It's not like I click in it and they have the studies for me to read. They, yeah, you'd like for you would like click in it, and they've actually distilled it for you. So they'll they will give you the full text, which is valuable in and of itself. Because sometimes getting a hold of those and corralling full text when you're trying to find something is an absolute bitch. If you've never like looked through research or you've never tried to read research, it's like oh fuck yeah, I think I found it. Oh no, just the abstract. Oh, I think I found it. No, just it's very difficult to find full text open access research, and so that is there, which is cool but they've kind of taken it and training wheeled it for you, which for me is honestly better. It's not that I can't read, but like, I don't want to to read it. You have a different job. Yeah. Yeah, my job is totally different. And so these guys really put it in such a way. It's really polished. It's really nice. They have graphs. They have things that make it make a lot of sense. Like If if there's a scatter plot in the data that would look better as a bar graph and, and with bigger and bolder things, they'll move it over. So you're like, oh my gosh. And it's put together by... Um, My number three Moving on to my number three Which is a podcast uh, Eric Trexler and Greg Knuckles Host a podcast called Stronger by Science And so this is one that I love And I love it because Both of these guys have extremely dry Sarcastic totally. humor Like I, I, I promise you It will slightly astound you Like they did an episode very recently Where they discussed the Shikari Richardson uh, Cannabis Yeah, yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> is the I saw some of the, the suspension. And he goes, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to fuck up my microphone. I'm laughing so hard. But he says a thing where you might remember a particular U.S. swimmer, Michael Phelps, who went out and smoked the reefer prior to the 2008 Olympic Games. And you want to know what happened to him? Nobody heard from him again. He's a total loser because he got addicted to drugs. <laughs> it's like For whatever reason, the amount of dry humor in there makes it really palatable, but it is an upper level kind of what I would describe as body composition slash strength, sport centric physiology podcast. There's a lot of discussion about higher level things in physiology, but that's what I thought was really, really valuable because we've touched on anatomy. We've touched on nutrition. We've touched on practical applications of anatomy like biomechanics or mobility, but one of those underlying things that makes your job as a coach a lot easier is understanding physiology. And that's a very, very difficult course to get your hands on. You kind of have to do something in the kinesiology field, or you need to do something in like the nursing field to get access to like good physiology coursework. Like you're not, there's no NASM physiology there. Yeah, so it's like to hear these guys for free, regularly talk about the fundamental physiological mechanisms of fat loss and muscle gain is like, wow, this shouldn't be free. And these are part of the team behind mass. So you, you'll get a lot of that carryover too. Like if you're just a total cheap ass, sign up for the Stronger by Science Research Roundup. That shit doesn't cost anything. And if you have all four the mass, the research roundup, which I found is usually just the didn't make the cut of mass. And, um, you know, there's a lot of really great stuff out there that's not too cost prohibitive and will make you a lot better coach. Great. Okay. We're going to go on to the next questions. And this is, this is, I think a really good one because this will feed into what we talked about most recently. This is from Randall Sanabria. And he asks, what are some new exercise changes you've made in your programming that you've been enjoying recently?
1: You want me to go first? Yeah. Oh yeah. I know um, you made some changes. I've
0: seen yeah. the gram. I've seen Oh it. yeah. It is on the um, gram. <laughs>
1: I didn't train my lats for probably the first 10 years. yeah. And so I think both of us can attest to like, you know, the change in the, I guess it's a little bit of a shift in the industry of people realizing like some of the really, what should have been pretty simple biomechanics to yeah. lat training have been just entirely off. And so in- incorporating a little bit more direct lat work. I honestly have videos of myself back in the day. And I remember posting them where my for, for I don't want to go too, too far out of the scope here, but like, if you... Are doing, let's say, incorrect lat training, or you think you're doing lat training? A lot of times, what ends up happening is you're, it's not like something bad is happening. It's just you're working other muscle groups, like your, your terrace major and some of the upper back muscles, your rear delts, your rhomboids. And those muscles for me have always been like exponentially larger. And I always thought like that genetically. That's just like when I raised my arms up to pull the lat pull down, I had this like huge terrace major. major. But like probably 20 year old me was like, oh, you have huge lats. Like didn't understand that there was a difference here, and so definitely have been incorporating super tight and sore. Yeah, what's was this my lat.
0: How come and only so, the top yeah. of my lat gets sore?
1: <laughs> right, my upper, my upper lats. It's like actually those aren't your lats at all. Um, and so yeah, so definitely. I mean, we could we could go back and forth for, but I'll let you go. But definitely incorporating more proper lat training via you know exercises like chest exercises, lat pull downs, and single arm lat pull downs, and just more proper arm path and biomechanics to train the lats effectively.
0: But I think that's hilarious because it, 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 it makes me laugh about all the things I used to just be like, that's freaking for, for
1: That's lats. I have, I, I, I've been, I've probably made some, some of the shifts that I just said to, to more appropriate lat training for about eight weeks. And I'm, I'm not somebody who ever looks at before and after pictures, but this is something that I actually wanted to see is like, if I start putting in some real lat work, like, is there going to be a change? And uh, you know, eight, eight weeks. I'm not saying it's magic. I'm obviously the same person, but I could actually see something. And I was like, wow, these muscles have just been not doing anything for a yeah. decade, you know?
0: Yeah. And like, if you want to talk about, Hey, you want to see some pretty considerable change in the way you look without a shirt on or the way your clothes fit in men and women build a little bit of lat, like I'm. Um, that's going to Fundamentally change your physique. I'm not a massive bodybuilding purist, but I am a fan of bodybuilding and I'm pretty well versed in the kind of illusional requirements, if that's even a thing, for bodybuilders. And even though, like, if we're talking purely genetics, you want a really small waist, but not everybody has the smallest waist. And so Getting that tapered V look is kind of this illusion, if you will, that all bodybuilders are constantly trying to build and enhance. Like The bigger that lat taper is, that V taper, the smaller the waist looks. And so there's a few things you can do, and it really just comes down to, can you develop the delts enough to create width at the top, which is hard, and can you develop the lats, which is also hard if you train lats the way most people do. And so I'm, I'm kind of right with Jordan. Like I got a free motion for the gym out in the garage, expensive, Project. very expensive, fifty five hundred fucking dollars, you guys. And Best I was, purchase you, know, you ever made. It, totally, I felt so baller when I was like, yeah, back up the free motion into my fucking house. Like for like three months, dude, I was like in the kitchen. I was like, a fucking free motion in
1: my house, bro. <laughs> it's just I can't afford dinner, but I got a free motion. So
0: stupid. I was like, this is dumb, but I'm like what a what an embarrassment of riches. I'm going to walk out and I'm going to hit fucking tricep extensions while the air fryer blasts me some chicken nuggets. I was like, this is like 16-year-old me's dream. And somehow it's become true all because of this dream. I bought a free motion just to do that lat training. Literally just because I was like, if I can just move that freaking cable where I need it and I can put my chest on this bench, I can absolutely flame out my lats. And I'm telling you guys, this is no joke. so if you're if you're like, "What the fuck are they talking about?" Go to Jordan's Instagram. He's posted quite a bit of this stuff recently, and it you'll see you'll be like, "I could do that and and try it. do the make sure the cues are right, and it, it will blow you up. Um, something that I have been doing that I don't necessarily love when I'm doing it, but it is definitely making a noticeable change in the way my body feels is I have been ending most of my workouts on the assault bike, assault bike with a 10 20 interval so it's a 10 second sprint followed by a 20 second cooldown period and that interval repeats for eight rounds and the assault bike or the echo bike is pretty cool because it has a wattage component on the upper upper middle section so like if you're ripping on it you'll be like oh my watts are climbing and you'll see this number go higher and higher and higher At the end of the interval, you'll get your peak watts and you'll get your max watts. And it's just really simple feedback. So what I've been doing at the end of most of my workouts is I try to, over the course of a month, see if I can get my peak watts higher and my max watts higher during the same interval. And it only takes me four minutes, but I feel quite a bit different aerobically. And this could be either completely nutritional, completely hydration related, or all like some multi... You know, faceted component like or a derivative of sauna, water, and hydration. But I'm much more vascular uh, when I in cor- when I started doing this. So I feel like that increased upper level aerobic output has an uh, uh, maybe an acute effect, but it could be a chronic effect on the visible vascularity in my body, which I'm all about.
1: Maybe it's the element. <laughs> it could be the element <laughs> be solid,
0: electrolyte so. keeping me yeah, hyper mega yeah. hydrated. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you've been throwing in there?
1: I guess the one thing that just came to mind was was taking my ego out of exercise selection. I just say my ego, maybe what I mean is taking the emotion out of exercise selection and, and viewing everything just more objectively as a tool and, yeah. and just reminding myself that I don't have to do certain exercises. I just oh, need to, to accomplish the goal that I want. And so uh, thinking about... You know, needing to back squat. Like haven't back squatted. This is the longest time it's been since I back squatted. I've done more hack squat and leg press and, and and and, uh leg extensions and heel elevated split squats. And I'm listen, back squats are great. A lot of people listening at home, you guys have just barbells and stuff, you're good at back squat. It's great. It's a totally a great exercise. But just for those of you who might have like full gym access and maybe max hypertrophy goals, like trying to take the emotion out of your exercise selection and and recognizing you don't have to barbell deadlift from the floor. You might not actually be able to with good technique or squat ass to grass or even break parallel. And so taking the emotion out of the exercise selection and viewing things a little bit more objectively, like as what the tool, like what these things are good for. Yeah.
0: Did you ever have anything that like it was a staple for years? Like this is an exercise that you did on every push day, every leg day. Do you, do you, do you remember what's oh, on yeah. that ones that uh, you had- a
1: close, close grip, close grip cable row with the tiny little close oh, grip yeah. for, before, before finally like, you know, realizing that like I actually can't get my arms all the way behind <laughs> me and I can't actually retract. I can't actually get into full shoulder extension with this tiny little triangle. And, and listen, it's not the end of the world. That's all you got. And totally use it. It's not like you're not going to grow a muscle, but like that was like, you could pull the whole stack with that thing, you know? Yeah. And so if I had to realize, you know, you go to like one, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's like the small silver, silver if bar, it's like a triangle. Knows Everyone about. knows it. And if you the, the grab barn a neutral it. It looks grip, it's like the roof
0: of a barn made out of metal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And if you grab a neutral grip, which has a, like your palms facing each other, that's like slightly wider. All of a sudden you're moving half the weight and you're like, oh, fuck this. Impossible. I'm not even doing cable rows anymore. It's impossible. It's impossible. So yeah.
0: This is the worst lift known to man yeah. who yeah. made this handle. I need to speak yeah. to the that's manager a, right now. Terrible. My experience yeah. has been subpar. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick second to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And if you're finding value, it would mean the world to me if you would share it on your social media. Simply screenshot whatever platform you're listening to and share the episode to your Instagram story or share it to Facebook. But be sure to tag me so I can say thanks and we can chat it up about what you liked and how I can continue to improve. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the rest of the episode. That was one that I did very frequently. Um, But I would say that some form of machine chest press would make it into every fucking chest day because the gym that I went to when I started lifting weights in high school in my super small podunk California hick town, I'm now living in Sonoma County, which is like exponentially more bougie and liberal. So I've become contaminated. Uh, Like when I go back home, I'm like, ah, there's a really disgusting amount of lifted tr- fucking trucks here um but hey it's all right i'll just try to enjoy the mountains of residual copenhagen that line the streets uh let's just you know try to settle in here but like all that i had there was a dumbbells and barbells and so i was benching and freaking dumbbell benching until the cows came home as most young men are apt to do and when i moved down here to where i live now the gym had like five machine chest presses. And like, there would be days where I do every single one because I was like, this is amazing. And, um, when COVID happened before I got my free motion, I had to abandoned, or I had to abandon my machine chest pressing. And I was like, yeah, that shit was just like, your pecs. Yeah. I actually survived my pecs survived. And, uh, it's weird. I know it shouldn't work, but barbell bench press has always been something that the more I do it, the bet I just get good growth from it. I'm sure that's, a complete bullshit. Cause for those of you who are listening, like barbell bench press is kind of a shitty exercise. Like it's only really in there for my clients who like to barbell bench or who have expressed to me, they want to do barbell bench or they have limitations on what the fuck they can press. But more often than not, my clients get a lot of flies and they get a lot of dumbbell pressing. I just find that they are generally better. Um, if, um, if you're training strength, it's, it's a great movement. And a lot of people literally have to train that for their sport. Like, it's like, okay, like that's part of my powerlifting, but other than that, not a huge fan of the barbell press.
1: Yeah. Shameless plug. It was my first question on the Q and a podcast that I just posted today. So, uh, if you guys wanted more longer breakdown of why barbells might not be your best option, you could have their shameless plug. Um, okay. but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Agreed, yeah. Barbell even barbell bench press could be an answer that like little me did for like twenty years before reason. before realizing that like for optimal pet growth, you're probably gonna want to like adduct the arms a little bit out in front of the body and, and the only thing that really does that is dumbbells and cables. But you're you like know what the, you know what though? Like this barbell, this jack dude I know at the gym, the biggest guy at the gym, he does barbell bench press. So I have to do barbell bench
0: press. It it is a Rite of passage exercise, like I'm, I'm, I'm like, I don't think there's a man like this is the thing that also I've also noticed, like, pretty much fucking everybody goes to the gym now. (laughs) You know, this is like, I know this is stupid, but I was just thinking about this. I was like, every young person's kind of working out these days. Like, if you're like, hey, do you work out? And they go, oh, I go to F forty five. You're like, okay, well, that's the new. I don't work out because, like, you talk to like anybody they're like yeah i lift okay what's your split i do a push pull leg okay bitch i see you like everywhere you go it's like all right i guess everybody kind of lifts weights now or or is somewhat familiar with the like lingo and the verbiage and like i'm i get it like people have been working on this but it, it trips me out like every man has a has made a run at 225 and like every adult every
1: adult <laughs> needs the five by two twenty-five. That's it.
0: <laughs> every adult man in America or every and every kid on TikTok who just started lifting, they are chasing two twenty-five. Like of all of the fitness rites of passage, like it, it's very simple. Two plate bench, three plate squat, four plate deadlift. All of those are rights of passage. If you got a four plate squat or a four, uh, you got a fucking five plate squat. You got a fucking six plate deadlift, but you don't got a two plate bench. You are a pussy. And I know that it's like <laughs> so on nuanced and very like ne- toxic masculinity, if you will. But that is just the fucking rules for the road. And everybody knows it. Like everybody, every dude there, in America is chasing 225 on the bench. There are
1: kids out uh, there. There's some, there some high schoolers all around the country right now who can't bench 100, who have 225 on the bar <laughs> trying to rip it. Like it's just like, nope, they can't even put the plates on the bar. They are going for it. And there are training partners doing upright rows, trying to pick it up off their chest. Yes. Like it's happening all around the country.
0: It, just pure negatives. Like, Hey bro, have you ever heard of negative? And like, there's other logic here that just- Have you ever been just- guillotined? There's, uh, there's only logic that exists in weight rooms, like with teenagers. And it's I, I've thought these thoughts because it's just like your brain's
1: fucking not done growing. and it's very clear. And you'll be like, <laughs> you only have one thing on your mind anyway. It's like I cannot dudes with my bench and getting chicks,
0: yeah, which you only get one, and it's sadly the one you were after originally because like all of your gains are like more appreciated by the dudes. But, yeah. When you are young, you get this like really smart idea when you've made the run at 225 and you've like blasted out on your sixth set at like 200. You're like, okay, instead of going 135, 155, 160, I'm going to start at 225 and I'm just going to send it cold. And like, I cannot tell you how many kids have gotten buried because they've never even unracked that before. And they're just like, oh, he's and they're completely cold, but I, I definitely tried a dry rip of 225 when I was like going for it, which is the golf equivalent of like having never golfed before and like trying to tee your driver out of a sand trap. You're going to destroy your club. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like your body can't handle it. You're not good enough. And that's what the dry rip of 225 is, but it, it's a thing. Should I start with the most weight I can do when I'm fresh? No, that's a literally awful idea. You've been lifting for four weeks; these things happen, people. Okay, here's another question that I really like from Sarita O, and she asks, "How much does meal timing make a difference in workouts as well as with
1: recovery?" I'm gl- I'm almost glad she didn't say fat loss because we would have the question would have been a m- much easier question. It would have been doesn't matter at all really outside um, of adherence. Yeah, um, give us something. And so. Yeah. How much does meal timing affect the quality of workouts? More than zero. Uh, Mm -hmm. It doesn't not affect them at all. Um, But I would say that there's definitely a hierarchy here of like your total carbohydrate, your your total calories first. Are we talking about the presence of a a surplus maintenance or deficit? Obviously, if you're in a deficit, like, yes, meal timing is going to matter more, but you're still going to be in a worse situation than if you had more total calories on average per day. Um, uh, and so how much does meal timing matter? It matters more than zero, but less yeah. than what you're doing on average, most of the time. Um, and I also think it might matter depending on what type of workout you're doing. Are we doing mm-hmm. a, a strength training program where it's not very gly- gly- glycolytic and you don't need a lot of stored glycogen for that? Or are we doing hit training where it's very glycolytic or are we doing something in the middle hypertrophy style training where it's like semi glycolytic and you, you know, you're not going to totally deplete glycogen. You don't need to be on 600 carbs, but you're going to have to be on something, uh, or, will do better if you have more carbs. You could survive keto lifting. Okay. Just saying. Um yeah. and so I would say that it, it matters more than zero. It doesn't matter a ton, but if you're doing a lot of other things correct, then I think it's something to to look into. And we could talk about what what you know a more appropriate uh, meal timing for let's say, let's say in the context of hypertrophy training would yeah. look like. Um, but I do think it's we're we're talking less important than what you're doing daily or at least on average. Totally.
0: I mean, the Helms pyramid uh, always comes to mind when somebody brings up meal timing because it's on there somewhere, but it's not at the bottom. And that's something that I think really matters is, okay, uh, have I earned the right to focus on this? And in most instances, the answer is no, you shouldn't be focusing on this because... It's almost a distraction from the shit that really is quite simple and that you want to divert most of your energy to like these two things. And that's going to be total calories and total macros. Like if you're, if you're not doing those two things, like you're not going to even reap the benefits of the timing because you could actually be falling short. And it's like, these things work best at effective dosages like supplements, right? Like meal timing takes the baton only when you've hit total macros if you haven't hit total macros you're you're you are you know you're not going to reap the full benefit it might like it might save you a little bit to have some good meal timing it might make a little difference but it's like come on bro like don't be hitting me up about your muscle milk if you haven't you know even hit total protein like like oh i had protein after my workout what'd you have the rest of the day literally nothing okay so it's it's like don't even think about that until you've got the other two things and it used to be that like, it was all about the anabolic window. It was like, if you didn't get protein within 30 minutes of your workout, you were, you know, literally you will waste your workout. I'm pretty sure that was the muscle milk branding. Don't waste your workout. But after a lot of the nutrient timing literature kind of got fleshed out in like the early to like mid 20 teens and we started seeing, wow, it's really not that important. And it's so much more important to get total macros. Like we went hard line away from nutrient timing and people were literally like, it doesn't fucking matter at all. If your coach says nutrient timing matters, they're an idiot and they don't know the science. And and that was like a literal thing. And I was like, well, yeah, I, I guess. And like intuitively, I was like, I guess it's not that important, but I'm still having my post-workout shake. Why? Because it couldn't hurt. And I think that's a really good segue for what I kind of want you to talk about, which is like, let's say you do have the macros, right? Let's say you do have those calories dialed and the lifestyle stuff dialed. If if we're talking purely hypertrophy, like I just want to gain the most muscle possible. And I want to get a sick pump when I'm training. Do you have any nutritional strategies or hydration strategies that you like to implement around the training window?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll go a little, I'll take one small step into a little bit broader uh, spectrum there. I think if we're talking about nutrient timing or meal timing, if we talk about meal timing for adaptations for hypertrophy, what we're primarily talking about is, is protein distribution. Mm -hmm. And so like the time, if we're exactly talking about the exact time that you're having protein, I don't think that that's necessarily as uh, helpful a discussion as listen, if you're getting at least let's say 0.8 grams per pound or 1.6 grams per kg of body weight of protein, dispersed across, let's say at least three meals, Mm -hmm. the timing of your protein does not matter. It's like, okay, I have it at 8am or 12am and 4am. It's like have at least three meals and hit at least 1.6 grams or let's say 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. So from an adaptation perspective, at least in hypertrophy and, and strength, I guess, I suppose as well, the growth of muscle tissue, we're talking about protein and we're talking about protein distribution, timing less important, but number of feedings is relevant or at least more important. And so I would say, listen, get at least 8.8 grams per pound of protein per day and have that over at least three meals. um, And you're good to go. And then if we look at meal timing for performance is more of the question you asked, are there any nutritional uh, protocols that I might advise for for people trying to, you know, get the best performance out of their hypertrophy sessions? Personally, I think the first line of defense, the first discussion is like, you should be going into your sessions feeling good. Like, and I know that that's a vague thing, but instead of like this many grams of carbs, this much gram of protein, I'm most concerned that you're eating in a pattern where you show up to your workout, not stuffed from your meal and not starving for your next one. And if you, I, I I've been playing, uh, I've been playing like semi, like semi-competitive old fat man soccer lately nice. and, and in this league. And, and I've been, and I know this shit, I know how to optimize performance for this exact sort of activity. And I find myself from, like, just coming back to like, just go in there, not being stuffed and, not being starving and you're already ahead of the game. So if we're talking about meal time for performance, I would say, just like, make sure you're not having huge meals. Like the, the couple of rules of thumb would be the closer it is to training, the less amount of calories, the less amount of fiber, the less amount of fat, because all of that stuff's going to make it digest longer. Mm-hmm. The closer you get to training or the further away you are from training, the more fiber, the more calories, the more fat you can have without it probably making you feel like crap. And then another thing that I've been incorporating that I know you will agree with 100% is some like supplemental addition of sodium in that pre-workout meal, or even in like a pre-workout shake somewhere in that like hour, hour to half hour window beforehand. And so I think I know we're both a fan of the Element Labs electrolyte. And so I've been doing like a half packet of that either with my pre-workout meal or, you know, half hour to an hour before the gym to make sure that obviously the electrolyte balance is in check. And obviously you get sick pumps and, you know, maybe you could touch on how that of sodium might not, be a huge deal for the average person. But I'm curious if you have any other things to add to that. I
0: I thought that was wonderful. And I think that you really painted something, you kind of grabbed something else that we had neglected, which is um, outside of the, you know, workout window, the value of actually distributing your protein across multiple feedings. I think that that's something that has a lot of practicality and it's like, Hey, can you eat four 25 gram protein servings across your day? that would be fucking amazing. Like if people did that one thing, that would really be a a tremendously effective nutritional strategy for at like a population level for people to try to eat four decent sized servings of protein. Like if if that was like included, let's just say in some government food pyramid-esque you know, deliverable that you saw places or you saw in schools, like that would really make a huge difference on body composition because spreading your protein across your day is not just good for muscle protein synthesis. It's good for satiety. It's good for keeping your blood sugar stable. All of these really cool things that come from regular protein consumption. And so I I think that there in fixes the entire issue. If I was trying to be like the ultimate refiner of things, I might do a protein feeding 90 minutes prior to training and a protein feeding within 120 minutes of finishing training. If for no other reason, then I might want to have some degree of carbohydrate present around the training window to mitigate or blunt the cortisol response. I genuinely do not know how impactful that cortisol response is the way most people train. Quite frankly, it could be completely negligible i have no fucking clue i am totally splitting hairs here i am i am like grabbing at straws so we have really cool things to talk about so i think that this is something that is totally missing the forest for the trees but when you train really really hard your cortisol is inclined to rise because it is a stress response and super hard arduous training again there's a good chance you don't fall into this category. But super hard, stressful training could elevate your cortisol. So one of the ways you can help counteract a rise in cortisol that would be catabolic or actually start to expedite the rate at which your protein was breaking down from your training is to have carbohydrates present. Some people recommend sipping on things like cyclic dextrin, which are carbohydrates that can more quickly be assimilated in the small intestine and large intestine, right? So like, they're not gonna feel like, I just ate a fucking multi-grain Ezekiel bread. Like where you're like, Oh man, this is, or like a huge bowl of oatmeal before you train. That's just in your stomach the entire time you're training. Um, that's like the worst thing. This is a carbohydrate. That's pretty lightweight. It gets in there. It gets dissolved and absorbed quickly. So it doesn't like feel heavy, uh, supposed to have minimal effect on like the, the small intestine gastric stuff, GI stuff. But, I think you could get most of those effects by just having a pre-training meal with some carbs and a somewhat close to the finish, like the end of your workout meal, uh, of carbs too. So a little bit of protein before and after, and a little bit of carbs before and after, if I was like totally trying to be like Mr. Goddess, a plus in class, like, you know, I'm going to try to show that my behavior is exemplary. That's what I would do as for like performance strategies. Um, like uh, caffeine, of course, but something I think a lot of people just take caffeine habitually, but it doesn't do anything for them. So like this might be like an appropriate time to go, hey, if you're not getting anything out of your caffeine, like, and you're like, I take two scoops of fucking pre-workout every day. Like, this is what I do. Do like a half a scoop uh, or a scoop of pre-workout and a half a scoop of the Legion stem free. You know, just like start to draw back and like give yourself that obsessive, like neurotic need to put two scoops of something into a bottle and shake it till it's like, you know, chartreuse, there's a color for you and like dial back the caffeine and like resensitize yourself to caffeine. If you want an acute performance kick that you're like, holy shit, like wean down on the caffeine and then add it in strategically. Like do no caffeine two days a week, a little caffeine two days a week, and then like fucking hammer it on your leg days. Like if you could do that, you would actually probably get something out of caffeine and notice it a little bit. I love the sodium addition. Like I think supplemental electrolytes are awesome. The best way that I could like describe this to people is like few things are more interactive with a water molecule than carbohydrate and sodium. And so like you're probably like, what? Like what is what does that have to do with anything? Like when we're talking about getting pumps and we're talking about like looking in the mirror and being like, I look swole, I look vascular, that really just comes down to how much fluid is in the tissue, how much blood is in the tissue, how much water is in the tissue. So if you go to the gym really early in the morning, You'll probably notice your pumps are like way worse than if you go later in the afternoon. If you go in the evening and you never train in the evening, you're like, who the fuck am I? Like, I look incredible. You get wicked pumps because you're super, if, if you're handling your business, you're super loaded on carbs, you're super loaded on sodium, and you've been drinking water all day. In the morning, you're generally, I don't want to say carb depleted, but you don't have as much circulating blood glucose right you're like literally just waking up you're like okay like i haven't eaten anything i haven't eaten anything in 10 hours part of what wakes you up is the fact that you haven't eaten and so what what starts to happen then is like you start to hydrate better you start to have more carbohydrate you start to have more salt you start to get better pumps so you can try to frame those things around your workout we talked a little bit about the carbs jordan hit on the sodium a little bit too which is like a supplemental electrolyte 120 to 90 minutes before training is going to get more salt in your system, but carbohydrates and water and salt will pull water in more quickly. So if you have sodium present, if you have carbohydrate present, you'll probably pull that fluid in more quickly. And if you think about all of those people that come up to you and go, oh my gosh, I'm so bloated. It's always after they had something extremely high in carbohydrates and extremely Mm -hmm. high in sodium. So sushi is one for sure. Like, Oh my God, last night I had sushi. I went to the sauna after this, after eating like what would have been three or four rolls of sushi. I felt horrible. I felt so absolutely horrible because what was happening inside of my body was all of the soy sauce and rice was fighting so hard to hold onto the water and everything in the sauna wanted to pull the sweat out of me. And I felt like my soul and my, my body were in a fight for survival. It was the least comfortable I've ever been in my life. It was like, I wanted to sweat so bad, but I couldn't. And I just felt like a bloated fat dude in a 200 degree room. And it was, it was pretty awful. So pre-workout sushi, bad pre-sauna sushi, quite possibly fatal.
1: Yeah. And to circle back around one thing about protein feedings, and then I want to do something on caffeine that we can move on. But if you just do me a favor and you take of paper and you write out, uh, the hours of the day that you're awake. And let's say, uh, you know, you don't eat three hours before bed. So we chop that off. Let's say it's two hours before bed, whatever, maybe you do. Um, and you, Write down four protein feedings like relatively evenly spaced throughout the day. Mm-hmm. You just write them down, you make a mark on that piece of paper, and then you slot your training somewhere in the day, you're gonna hit on what Danny said, which is like getting a, a protein feeding beforehand and after within let's say two hours on either end. Like it's just going to happen. Like this like doesn't need too much thought. It's like I need four yeah. meals a day or three, whatever. Even if it's three evenly spaced meals, you're probably still going to meet those requirements. Yeah. And the second thing is on the on the caffeine, where the irony is like if you look at what like the ergogenic benefit of caffeine. Like it it's probably if I'm not saying it doesn't help for hypertrophy. It, it does. But if you're it probably helps more for powerlifting and for yeah. endurance training yeah. than it does for hypertrophy training. And yeah. so what we're what you're 99 percent of people that are taking pre-workout are taking it for actually this like nootropic benefit. And caffeine is a nootropic, it has a nootropic benefit. Um and so the irony is if you could get that nootropic benefit without layering on more caffeine that you almost certainly don't need, wouldn't you take it? Like would if you could achieve that same, like the caffeine benefit is probably better for people who lift lift really, really, really heavy, neuro, more neurological, more strength-based training, or for people doing more endurance-based training. But a lot of people listening to this do like hypertrophy training. And what you really, what you're really taking this pre-workout for is to get in the zone. And what I have found, and I think I mean, you and I are both, you know, uh, work with Legion. And so is that their stim-free pre-workout, which just sounds like an oxymoron, has an ingredient called alpha GPC, which is a really, really strong nootropic. And it has been an absolute revelation for me and my training and a lot of people that work with me to bring their overall caffeine level down while still taking something that allows them to get that in-zone yeah. feeling. And what I will even say is I would actually... 10 out of 10, take the alpha GPC over the caffeine. Now, if you have, you know, Legion's regular workout, I do believe it has both. Yeah. I'm not sure if it has both. Um, regardless, you could do one scoop of each fine. If you train first thing in the morning and that caffeine kind of more wakes you up and you need that in addition to this in the zone feeling fine, you can have caffeine as well. But if you're training like midday afternoon, God forbid evening, and this caffeine is sitting in your blood for 10 hours and you don't want to have that. Go for a stim-free pre-workout. I will scream from the rooftops. It's a game changer. The -the in-the-zone feeling that you are looking for can be achieved better without caffeine, frankly, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: I I call like stim-free pre-workout. It's like diet pre-workout. You know, it's it's not going to fuck you up the way that mainlining 400 milligrams of caffeine just to not feel tired for six years is going to. And like, the truth is like, even if the performance benefits are nothing more than just like, oh, I feel slightly more alert, that can be really beneficial for where some people are at to be able to actually lean on that instead of be dependent on that. And also, I don't know, like, I understand that most people, all, not all people feel this way, but I think most people do enjoy coffee. I really do. Like, I think that pop coffee is quite possibly the most popular non-alcoholic beverage, like, I think if you were to pool people, you were like, do you like beer? Do you like wine? Do you like tequila? Do you like, you know, whatever caffeine over drunk any day? Yeah. I think a lot of people would say like, do you like coffee? And I think you'd probably get the most yeses. Like I really do. Like I think quite possibly the most popular non soft drink, maybe even more popular than soft drinks beverage. And of course, decaf is not very good but caffeinated coffee tends to be quite flavorful quite aromatic people enjoy it um you know you don't want to load it up in calories but like if you are somebody who drinks one to two coffees every day and takes pre workout and and a lot of people do this we're, we're talking about a caffeine intake like north of 400 milligrams a day, some people are taking like in the eights. I know people that drink, like have coffee and then drink bang energy drinks, like across the day. Like they just drink pre-workout slowly all day. Like we've normalized caffeine consumption to the point where it's like, I think borderline harmful. Again, this isn't in my scope, but I think we have a lot of people dealing with anxiety and dealing with excess stress. That's exacerbated by being, you know, constantly bombarding their brain with caffeine. And so I think if you could just work it down to, yeah, enjoy a couple nice cups of coffee or like a few shots of espresso in the morning, and I have a stim-free pre-workout, like I think you'd end up like getting a lot more enjoyment and actual benefit out of your caffeine uh, intake. And it won't be such a drag the way that like taking two scoops of caffeinated pre-workout are. So I I would shift to the stim-free if for no other reason than I could just enjoy more coffee. And be a lot less caffeinated because like two scoops of pre-workout guys, for, for some of you who aren't initiated, like they used to actually like say this on the label, it'd be like, one scoop is eight cups of coffee. And you'd be like, All right, well, that's fucking good branding because I drink four locos and burn tires with my friends on Fridays. <laughs> you know, you're like, This is pretty damn stupid to put this in my body if one scoop is eight cups of coffee, but I'm sending it. And, and one so thing I- you don't want to
1: do that. One thing I love about Legion is that we use full, fully full clinically effective doses, and mm-hmm. and that's not their fault. The full clinical effective dose of of caffeine is going to be in that like four to six milligrams per kilogram, which yeah, is totally. a metric, which a metric, which is a metric fuck ton, which it's is more than you would want in an entire day if you were trying to optimize sleep. Totally. And so, what we're, you're probably looking for is more like two to three milligrams per kilogram, which was pro- for a 100, 150 fifty pound person is let's say. Let's say an average of like one to two milligrams per pound. Yeah, uh, would be a, a nice two two milligrams per pound would be a nice limit. If you're a 150 pound person, that's 300 milligrams of caffeine. That's like two strong cups of caffeine. Yeah, um, and that's P.S. Yes, that's like one bang energy, by the way, which is the most ludicrous bang <laughs> energy. Has listen to me? I I had somebody stop me um, in the in Seven Eleven asking me why I was buying a Monster one day, and I had a White Monster, and they had a Bang. And they were like, oh, I don't like the white monster. Uh, I like the bang. I'm like, that bang has over twice the caffeine. Like, a a monster is actually a relatively low amount of caffeine per volume of liquid. It's 140 milligrams of caffeine for like 12 ounces of liquid, or maybe in 16. The bang is 300 to 350 milligrams of caffeine. It's insane. There are people knocking these back like it's nothing.
0: I know I like I used to work in a corporate gym and like the normalization of like grunge college kid walking in like cracking open the fucking PM. p.m. at 9 a.m. Crush, yeah. Uh, 5 p.m. Crashes
1: and cracks. A my bang. breakfast like,
0: bang, bro. And it's like, these are my work beers, dog. And I'm like, yeah. OK, you're going to have three of those a day. Yeah. And they are going to be flavored cotton candy, green apple fucking yeah. jizz ball and, you know, like. <laughs> flaming anus orange because yeah, you're yeah. so at that point you're just shitting your pants like yeah. and i know that the aggregate of that much caffeine across your day is slowly destroying your ability to actually get out of bed and function as a human being but like bang i don't like to get political but bang is like the uberest trash company in the fucking entire world and the like bang ceo dude is the dude's a fucking nutbag like all I'm going to say, you just Google it and and take it from there.
1: They he but, also, they also try and put additional, uh, whatever, I'm, we're not going to, we could do a fucking laundry list, but it's like super, super creatine or BCAAs <laughs> or they, they're they like, oh, we have CoQ10 in here. Not one of those ingredients is... Any more than a fucking one little pixelation yeah, of that ingredient. They're like, oh, there's of... 0.01 grams of creatine. Now I can put creatine on here. There is nowhere near a clinical effective dose of any of this bullshit. You're like, oh, I got my bang with BCAAs. First of all, nonsense. I got my bang with creatine. There's not enough creatine in there. Oh, CoQ10. I don't even know what the fuck that is. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, you don't want amino acid derivatives floating around in getting, CO2 yeah, all day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You don't, you do not want to, you're holding you, it you know, to know too like high a standard. Yeah. So if you want to like, also don't dry scoop your pre-workout if you can avoid it, because it probably needs to be mixed in some water. But if you want an effective pre-workout, you probably want it to start off as a powder. Anything you're getting out of those cans, the quality of those ingredients is inherently either diminished or usually of lower quality. So the carbonated energy drinks that you get at the gym for $5, like save the $25 a week you were spending on that and like get a coach. Like seriously, a lot of people are, are out there spending $4 a day on bangs, which equates to like $120 a month. If you go to the gym every day, which you shouldn't, but a lot of you do. And so yeah, don't do that. All right, Jordan. I think that'll do it, man. I I think we gave them some good stuff.
1: I think we gave them some good stuff and also some serious tangents, but it was a hell of a good time.
0: If you're not out here, like literally you know, just ripping these routes off like Devonte Adams with these tangents, like you're not doing it right. I know none of you like football. I'm just excited. We're 50 days away. Okay. But Jordan, tell them where they can find you.
1: The two best places for me are going to be on Instagram at Jordan lips fitness, or my podcast is where optimal meets practical on Spotify and iTunes. Do I do anything else? Uh, I don't think I do anything else. If you, if you ever interested, you have a question, shoot me a DM. I'll answer all DMS. I don't have quite as many followers as Danny, so I'll probably be able to actually answer you. Just- yeah.
0: Thanks. Man. I just hit this like <laughs> level of followers that is like the shitty level. Now I'm on the shitty yeah. level where I've got the nutbags coming in and I'm like,
1: okay. Oh well. no. I just started to get people being like hey, you. And I, I just, uh, I don't go too big a tangent here. We're on our way out. But like, I just <laughs> got to a point where I'm either getting trolls or actually like really rude people. And I'm like, wow, oh, am, yeah. I, am I there? Am I, did I make it mom?
0: <laughs> like, I had an exchange with a man today where I was called uh, a homophobic slur the the one that you probably don't want to say like the one that starts with an f and it, this was yeah. this was non-sexual at all this wasn't even about fitness this was a comment that i made on a fitness meme and within two exchanges this guy threw that at me and i was just like whoa man like i guess we're i guess we're here now and i i don't know if i was ready for it people (laughs) say that i was like bro really i wanted so desperately to be like listen bitch i've had sex with way
1: more girls than you okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) but i I didn't i was just Uh, like okay shut the hell up you just let it let it let it be
1: did you start off with uh, not having thick skin and did it change for you? Because I catch myself like Jenna General, General will be like, what are you doing? I'm like still on the toilet for like the, 13th yeah. minute and I'm like, I'm I'm I am like i am i am i am in the I'm, comments of uh, my own comments. I'm ripping this guy I'm up and rage it's like troll fucking from Iraq who's like doesn't have a profile picture who's like trolling yeah. me. Like
0: this dude's fucking profile picture just said liberty. He had zero posts and like yeah, followed 120 posts, people. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. okay, you're just some fucking Reddit incel, but I'm yeah. gonna end <laughs> your life
1: anyway. You're already on the brink send this essay anyway. Yeah. And so yeah. like
0: I learned to let it slide because one of the things I got contracted to do earlier in my career was do youtube videos for mind pump right, and right. like that fucking was so much work it was hell hard and i had to make these videos within certain constraints that were beneficial for the channel because it wasn't my channel and so i was like i understand this like they, they have to be within a certain number of categories and like quite frankly i'm not that confident and i need to make eight videos a week so there was a large volume of these videos and like uh, 99% of what was said across hundreds of videos was mostly kind things. But every once in a while there would be some like asinine comment that was like, Hey, this guy's a total dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Some of them were like really comical. Like, well, somebody tell this guy, he can't grow a mustache. What a pussy. And I'm just like, okay. Like I, I'm, I not, mom's
1: basement, 100%. I'm not
0: sure if this is like one. I find these hilarious because they're like, I was like, who the fuck would type this? First off, Who the fuck has time to type this. But after a while, they just get funny. I promise you. After a while, they just get funny. And because you have to be able to frame it very simply. I ask myself this question. Where would I need to be in my life to communicate with somebody like this on the fucking internet? where would i need to be yeah. and and that question right there usually makes me go okay i actually have empathy for this person and i feel this way about me. In,
1: i feel me like, on the toilet this morning <laughs> yes
0: you needed that and so like you you're like just have empathy for these people in some capacity because you need they are looking for a level of validation that is so infantile like recognition on the internet from somebody who they probably agree with more often than they disagree with them but they found one thing they've keyed in on and they're gonna be really mad about it and it's like god man like the amount of anger that's coursing through your veins that this is an actual like fucking a, a potential interaction for you is is sad and if i'm wrong i'll fucking own it like i've been shit on it on those videos where i was wrong because i fucking didn't know any better and i was making eight videos a week and just trying to pull my way up the, the fucking ladder here in this industry. And like, I've totally been wrong. Like I couldn't tell you how many times I'm wrong. If you, if if I've said something wrong, I'll read it. And I'll be like, shit, you're fucking right. Definitely bruised ego. I'm going to pull myself off the mat and I'm going to get better. Cause I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get right. And so there's really like, if you've accepted those two things, you can kind of let it wash over you. But sometimes what really gets me is when people are creating the like like this one woman i got into with about um the post i made about squat combo move squat curl press to twerk she's she totally attacked me for being racist because i included the phrase no cap and she said that i appropriated that from black people which i did i just learned that no cap is okay okay fuck okay you got me my bad but i didn't know and then two Like, okay, one, the only place I hear no cap is on the internet. And it's usually the phrase no, and then the cap. Like, and so, you know, I've seen a lot of no caps. And then she was like, like, basically was like, your body does not resemble that of these four hello fucking jacked black people, men and women who do combo movement swipe videos. So you need to shut the fuck up and stay in your lane because these workouts don't work for white people. And she spelled white, Y T. Which I had to look that up. That is a yeah, pejorative way. To, and so I was like, okay, that's like, that's a pejorative way to communicate white. It's like basically like whitey, YT, YT. It's like a slang. And so I was like, I was just getting demolished by this lady. She left like six comments on this post, like three weeks after it posted. And I was just like, what is happening here? What is going on? And all I did, this is not do not do this at home. All I did when I got to the end of like her eighth comment is I was like, LOL, what? W U T. I just, that's like a trash response. But she fucking flamed out on me and just went in. So I had to block her because I was like, this is absurd. And yeah. I blocked her and I was like, oh, there goes that oh, un- unhappy witch back to yeah. the nether regions of hell where <laughs> she came from. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, I, if we had a disagreement, I would have been totally open to discussing that in comments or in DMs, but then you just started like ending my reason for being here. It was like, I I wasn't even communicating. And so there's a lot of angry people that are just looking for that thing. If you end up being that thing, it's okay. You know, it's better to be on your end than their end. That's how I look at it. For that. Yeah. All All right, guys, give Jordan a follow at Jordan Lips Fitness and listen to his podcast. It's already linked in the show notes below, as is his profile. I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. We'll be sure to get you on again, man.
1: Thanks, brother. Talk to you soon.